And we are live with our 201st episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, super excited to be here, as always. Um, Got to say hi to Ken's dogs, as usual, right? Um, as Ken and I were talking earlier, like before, pre-show, we, we've decided this, this week's episode is brought to you by what was it? Anxiety and existential dread, right? Dread, I guess, yeah. Ken. Dread, something like that. Or, you know, you know, on the flip side, it's also brought to you by Redpoint, Redpoint Security. So uh, if you need code security, yeah, check out Redpoint. Um, yeah, it was that was kind of odd, though. Like we dropped uh, viewers really quick there for some reason, but I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's a, yeah, whatever. The link to YouTube. We'll see what's going on there. Um, this week, uh, as our 201st episode, um, there's a few items that we did want to bring up. Uh, first of all, KernelCon, the training at KernelCon is available. There's probably not going to be a less expensive or better option this, this year to actually take practical secure code review. Um, so let me drop that into the links again. If you've been waiting for an opportunity, uh, this one is... This one will be great. There's going to be others. Like we are definitely going to be at DEF CON again, training um, after the conference, like we did with uh, last year, the DEF CON trainings, that'll be available there. They're doing those ones in Bellevue later this year as well, and maybe even Singapore. And there's been some discussion of taking it on the road again, back down to Australia. So, um, and of course, you know, other opportunities may pop up, but this is the first, uh, this is the only one that we currently have outside of the DEF CON training that's currently on the books and, and live. Um, so if you're, if you're thinking about taking practical secure code review, this is the place to do it. Ken and I have updated the course uh, for 2023, you know, just given the last couple of years of what we have seen. Um, so it'd be a good, good chance to jump in there. Um. Outside of that, uh, Ken, uh, are there any other places or anything else that you want to promote this this week? Uh, no, I do want to. Um, well, yeah, actually, I do. So, uh, but okay. real quick, can you take a look in Slack? It sounds like our video has restricted access. Our YouTube live link um, says oh, restricted I'd... access, um, according to Larry. So yeah. yeah, just let me know what you find there while I, so uh, for me though, I was going to mention that this Friday I'll be at front, front, yeah, front runners JS uh, conference in um, Arlington, Virginia. So if you're going to be there, uh, I doubt that someone listening to this is going to be there, but if you are, um, you know, please hit me up um, DM on Slack you know, you can get to our Slack via our website, absoluteappsec.com or DM me on Twitter at CK Tricky. Um, but yeah, I'd love to, there's actually somebody who I'm going to meet up there who um, I work with at GitHub and she is keynoting. So I was going to say hi. Um, uh, but besides that, I don't know who else is going to be there. So anyways, if you're going to be there, Front Runners JS in Arlington, Virginia, this Friday, I'll be there. Um, I've got, yeah, I think you and I, Seth, we've, we've got, quite a schedule lining up for the next half of a year of uh, training. Also, I got more messages about um, uh, our training course being hosted online. So here's what I'll say right now. The pre-recorded material is not available. Uh, however, we do virtual training for uh, we've done it for conferences and we've done it for corporate organizations as well. So that's what I can say about the online side of things. So if you're one of those people that had that question, Consider it answered. Uh, yeah. Besides that, Seth, uh, nothing else that I can I can think of right right this moment. Okay. Yeah. Um, I will be in Northern Virginia later this month. Um, when I'm gone. Ken, yeah. When when Ken is gone, of course, right? But I will be speaking at OWASP uh, Nova on the 23rd. Um, it's going to be kind of like a old school versus modern talk. Um, talking about vulnerabilities that I've seen over the years, how they manifest nowadays, what we've seen lately. So code snippets and other things, just kind of like an experiential and then like where I see it going um, discussion, right? So it should be interesting, um, you know, especially if you've been at the podcast, on the podcast, you listen, come say hi, 
we'll go grab drinks or whatever after i would love to you know see people it's the first time i'll be in virginia in a, in a long time and of course ken's gonna be gone right that's 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 always the case inevitably i think so i think i have pictures from i want to say maybe 2019 uh where mm-hmm. you were up here and we were out to dinner with uh, you, you 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 were hanging out with my family but yeah i think that was the last time you were here that i can remember yeah that was probably right 2018 2019 yeah anyway we tend to see each other uh, in other places, right? So, yeah, uh, we yeah. travel to conferences and such. Exactly. So. Cool. Well, I, yeah, I don't see any problem. Like, I can't see any problems with the link, so I'm not sure why the restrictions there. If I look at YouTube Live, there's it doesn't say there's any restrictions. Yeah, I couldn't find any. Uh, I couldn't replicate the behavior that Larry was describing, so I think we're fine. Okay. Um, cool. Well, let's dive into it. I know last week we had Jerry on. That was a great discussion on CVEs and, you know, what goes into all of that. Um, Yeah, but um, this week, right, uh, there was a few items I know we didn't get get to last week. Uh, First thing was uh, breaches and the number of breaches that have happened in the last, uh, you know, couple of weeks. Um, I know you sent me a link on one. Um, of course, there's the LastPass one that's been kind of huge in the news, especially running around security circles because everybody is using password managers nowadays. Um, so that one's a fairly significant uh, breach that that happened, at least in our circles. Um, but, uh, you know, what, you know, of those, like, what do you want to talk about? Like, which one piques your interest I mean, they all piqued my interest. I think actually what was more more interesting when we talked, so there, there were two companies mentioned in the breach, LastPass and Chick-fil-A. Um, uh-huh. And I was sharing the Chick-fil-A one with Mike McCabe because he and I both really like uh, Chick-fil-A and I always joke about it and all that stuff, right? Um, anyway, so I sent that to him and, and he actually gave me, he offered me a counter link uh, from I think 2018, where they talked about how Chick-fil-A actually uses GitOps and Kubernetes in its stores to mention to to uh, not mention to uh, you know manage and monitor and, and operate their IoT devices that are inside the store. So I'll post that link here. But uh, I don't know, man. Like I thought that was actually interesting that Chick-fil-A is like so ahead of technology wise, uh, the curve. And I, I mean, obviously you don't think of them as a tech, I mean, I don't think of them as a technology company. Um, but it turns out, and here's the link, turns out they're actually pretty dope when it comes to some of this stuff. So, uh, just posted that link there. Let me put it in our general Slack as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, they, apparently each store has like its own GitHub repository and they've, they've set up the cluster such that the majority of stuff that does, never needs to leave is all just within the cluster, meaning doesn't need to leave the premises information wise mm-hmm. in their own cluster. But then they also um, have specific stuff that is important to feed on to corporate. And so that's seg- segmented such that the stuff in that or it can, it, the, the cluster can communicate only that information up. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. You should definitely check out that. I mean, did you know that about Chick-fil-A? Like I had no idea. No, I, I mean, this, to, to be fair, right? Like, I, I'm not overly surprised, um, right? Like, you know, based on where we're at and what's happened over the last couple of decades, every company that out, it, that's out there lives and dies by the, it, the technology that runs the company, right? You start talking about competitive advantage. The reason why there is Walmart and not Kmart, right, is because of technology. Um, yeah, what else did we get in here? Sorry, he just wrote, do they merge on Sundays? And I about (laughs) lost it. That was awesome. Probably not. (laughs) Is that considered work? I don't know. Maybe they have a, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Um, Yeah. But, you know, most companies live and die by the technology that they implement. So if they found a model that works with, you know, new tech and like is able to, you know, push that out, it, you know, doesn't necessarily surprise me that much right um i know like that was one of the interesting things being involved with um some of like if you've ever seen the 
I'm sure most people have the Carvana vending machines, right? Those are all driven by some sort of tech. And I know it's like Linux underneath the hood and a bunch of automated scripts and like how that actually is all put together, I'm sure is, is pretty fascinating from a technology perspective, but there's no reason why, why they wouldn't be using this modern tech to actually run that system. And that, you know, that's going to go to all the franchise stores, everything else that's out there and available. So, but Kubernetes, GitOps, that's pretty awesome, right? Like, you know, we, we've seen that in other places, but why not, right? It works. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I obviously I make a lot of jokes about Kubernetes. And the reason I make those jokes is because uh, people tend to, you know, dive headfirst into it before it's even needed. And then that just requires an inordinate amount of work and, and you got to manage those systems. Anyways, whatever. It's a lot of it's a lot of effort. And oftentimes it's it doesn't it doesn't even make sense. This is actually the one time where it's like, oh, this makes a lot of a lot of sense. So I don't know if they're still doing it in that way, but I, I just thought that was um yeah, I just I, I thought that was uh interesting. Now that's not how they were breached. We have to be clear. Um they were breached through uh, uh actually their rewards app, if I'm not mistaken. Um mm-hmm. and it was a credential so, and- stuffing attack. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this is one that I've always, I, I don't know, being in the security space, every time that you sign up for a new rewards, whatever, like put your phone number in and they want you to register online. Um, if you've ever really done at least even just a modicum of research into those rewards programs, you'll notice that there is, that a lot of them are, um, there's like a third party rewards provider that they use. So I don't know if Chick-fil-A is this way because I haven't looked into their program, but especially a lot of the smaller companies that are out there, they'll sign up and they'll have someone else actually manage those rewards. And when you start to look at, you know, any of the traffic that's flowing back and forth, even things like logging into those rewards programs through the website and that, you know, how it's tied to the back end. There's a lot of indicators there that I have concerns with, or I've had concerns with in the past. Um, So you, you know, it, I've been rather reticent to sign up with, uh, you know, some of those just based on the tech and based on the stack that I'm seeing and the communication uh, flows as they go back and forth. Um, And I've always wondered, okay, when's it actually going to happen, right? When is somebody going to be compromised through that rewards program or why, why isn't this targeted more? Because it is a way for a criminal or someone else to actually get free product, free food, Um, right? Like transfer points away, uh, that sort of an attack or that sort of a um, reward seems to be fairly enticing, right? Like you, you, I would think that this is going to be become more and more common. So I'm really interested to see, like it says it's an automated attack. And I had like, to be completely fair, you provided this article and I haven't necessarily read through it too much. Do you have any idea what actually happened and how it was how it was exposed or how they were compromised. They just said it was, it was credentials. Uh, obviously, you know, like not, credential stuffing. There's not, I, I don't know anybody doing two FA on their, on their rewards <laughs> on their apps. Rewards. Right. <laughs> so it was pretty much just like guest week passwords, credential stuffing attack kind of deal. Uh, Which I, is, I, I mean, again, whatever, this is not super I mean. surprising, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if you think about consumer behavior, they know that their bank needs to have its own password. But guess what they're probably doing across all these different rewards accounts and this, you know, this, oh, well, I don't really care about this, like, uh, you know, whatever account it is. So I'm going to use that same password that I've been using for the past 20 years, right? That's like, I think that's going to be normal human behavior because it's, oh, well, I don't really like, I'm, it's not overly sensitive here, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know. I, I would be surprised even if like people in our space don't do the same thing, right? Because it's a throwaway account or they view it as a throwaway account um, and they're using passwords that are in like the Adobe breach or whatever breach that was out there, you know, years ago. Um, so doing some sort of credential stuffing against a rewards program, I, I mean, it's paid off, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, so, it, you know, between December for the details, December 18th, right, going back uh, last year, uh, but I say like last year was like a couple months ago. So December 18, 2022 through February 12th, 2023, uh, an attacker used credential stuffing or attackers uh, to uh, compromise approximately 71,473 accounts. 
So we'll just say, well, we'll just say 71,000 accounts were uh, compromised. And um, what they did to take action on that was they removed the funds that had been preloaded onto those people's accounts, obviously rotated credentials, uh, and then remove payment information, which totally makes sense, right? You don't want someone logging into those accounts and then charging, uh, whether it's your existing balance or taking it off of your payment that's associated with your or your payment um, info that's associated with your account. Totally makes sense what they did. Um, they've been pretty open about it. Um, you know, honestly, this is this is the this is the downside of what really what it is. It's the downside of our current and everybody talks about it and we've been talking it's so i mean how many times is this discussion about like passwords should be dead and they're just not a great way to manage credentials and all that stuff i mean it, until that is actually resolved there's you know there are other ways to manage it of, of course but it's just a symptom of this this architecture that we've been using for so long this username password um stuff and then the the worst part about e-commerce is that you need to make things convenient enough for people to to, you know, for it to be reasonable. If I have to sign in every single time on my uh, rewards app, I'm probably not going to use it. If I have to uh, have two-factor enabled on it to use it, I'm probably not going to use it, right? If, if I have to, you know, enter in um, a password that I'm never going to remember on my, I mean, granted, mobile devices, they've got password stores. It should make all this easy, but whatever, like, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to do it. And that's, obviously, that's the... There's a convenience factor slash laziness factor that plays into all. It's the same reason, to be honest, even with me, like it's why I don't use the Nextdoor app because I love the Nextdoor app, not because I write anything, because I love to watch the shit show content sometimes late at night when I'm just looking for entertainment. I like watching the crazy things people write. It's whatever. I'm a weirdo. That's that's what, how I roll. But guess what? Facebook's still number one. Why? Because next door, every time you click a link, you have to sign in again. And I don't want to do that. And I guarantee you nobody else wants to do that. And I'm a security guy. So anyways, it's just the downside nature of if you want to like make money, you kind of have to make things convenient. We have this architecture that's built and, and it's existed for all the all of this time around username and password combos. What can Chick-fil-A do? Yeah, there's smarter ways to do things. There's more technology enabled on our phones and all of that to, to make all this, this easier and less reliant on credentials and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, this stuff is still going to continue. And yeah, yeah there has yeah. to be some massive changes uh, or it's just going to keep happening. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's an interesting problem. And, and actually like part of my interest here. um, is based on some mobile applications, application testing that I did a number of years ago, right? Um, for a fast food, uh, you know, at the business, they had a, you know, gift card component to their app. And um, it was fairly easy, right? Like that was one of the things that, you know, we found in the application and I'm not going to drop names today, but um but that was one of the things things that we identified was this ability to actually um, insecure direct ob object reference, right? Like gift card numbers, you could see whether or not they were active and then you could just monitor them, try and add them to your account. And as soon as they, somebody else would activate them and put money on them, you could use it and drain it and transfer it over to your own gift card, right? Like it was just like this, this whole like uh, ability within the application to do these transfers, to do these... Um, you know, still gift card balances. That was it was fairly interesting to see, and that that was that was gift cards. It wasn't necessarily a rewards program, but the the two are essentially the same when it comes down to it. And I think that's what you're seeing here as well. Is they're talking about, hey, there's this account that you set up. It has a rewards balance on it, but there's also gift cards associated with that, right? Like some of mm. those items that that um, screenshot actually shows is, oh, there's a gift card here with a two thousand dollar balance on it you can just add that to your account and then use it. Right. Or, you know, you can use their account to make a purchase with that. Um, which is, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's fascinating, right? Like how that actually happens. And I'm with you that it's like the older tech, we're trying to make things convenient. Um, but at some level it does go to the consumer and how they actually protect what the passwords they actually use. If they've been trained in using a password manager, but that does lead us to this second breach that we're going to talk about here, right? Like LastPass. 
um, because how far do you actually trust those systems as well is very dependent or the security that, that protects those passwords is then dependent on a third party and how they've implemented that security and the backups and everything else that goes into it. So it's, I, I mean, it's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorns. You still got to be aware of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was reading, we, we can get into the next one, but I was, uh, the next breach, but I was for sure like with, with LastPass, but I was also looking at Brian Glass's uh, article he posted about the Veri potential Verizon breach, but it's a little weird because the article is making it seem as if there, there, there was no breach of these, you know, I, I don't know, was it 7 million records, something like that, uh, that it's just the same 7 million records from a company that had access to Verizon, not to limited, that did business with Verizon and had limited access to details of the users of Verizon but had been compromised at some point. They already knew about it. Um, that leak continues to circulate is, is how they're, they're saying that this, yeah, anyways, they're just saying that this, this database of seven and a half million Verizon users is like an old thing. It's actually pretty inconsequential. It just keeps circulating back up and up and up again. But again, that's just what the article says. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if that's true. I, it, yeah. So anyways, um, yeah. I just wanted to briefly touch on that since uh, Brian had posted in there uh, and uh, yeah, it was worth covering. Well, and I, I mean, he brings up another good point, like his last comment there. Like, and if you're not in Slack, you should be, right? If you're listening to the podcast, because obviously we're referencing, referencing it quite a bit today. Um, but him talking about doing this for a large bookstore retailer, right? Where it wouldn't let you brute force the pin, right? So if you had a fixed number and then you were trying to brute force like the four digit pin on that, that gift card number, it wouldn't allow you to do that. But on, but the flip side of that, you could actually run, you could pick common pins and then just brute force the gift card number itself. Um, and it wouldn't lock you out if you were trying to do that sort of an attempt. Um, this is one of those flip sides, like the business logic flaws that you need to think about, right? You're testing an application. You're looking at the source code behind the scenes. Like how does lockout actually occur? Like we have this discussion all the time, at least internally with, you know, me, Justin, the consultants over at Redpoint, like what, like, what is the lockout behavior look like? And does it actually prevent what they think it's preventing? Um, because at times that you lock out accounts or you lock out, you know, streams and, I mean, it all goes back to crocs and socks and monitoring and actually seeing what's going on behind the scenes. But um, the behavior to an attacker and to a consumer um, needs to be consistent, right? Um, so uh, it, what pieces of information they're trying to brute force, you've got to have some sort of a counter there. You've got to be able to identify what's going on, shut the system down, shut that user out. It's, it's a non-trivial piece of um, access control or technology to put into place. It's not as easy as just like, oh, we'll just lock them out, right? But I mean, when I was at honest, GitHub, we had a whole team dedicated to just that, right? Abuse yeah. and, and spam kind yeah. of deal. And honestly, that was some of my first experience with application security was um, people enrolling at the bank using PIN numbers and their account number to actually, or their like, credit card number to start the enrollment process and the bank didn't realize that oh uh, attackers are actually going to use that pin number or they're going to use that form of enrollment to enumerate pin numbers for stolen credit card or stolen debit card numbers right and so they tried to do okay well we're going to prevent this from happening if you try more than three times we're going to lock you out or five times we're going to lock out that pin or we're going to lock out that debit card number to prevent you know anything else from happening and what did the attackers do uh they're like okay instead of um you know trying you know a thousand different numbers we're going to take the mo the five or the four most common pin numbers and try those instead because most people pick things like one two three four or one three you know five seven whatever like whatever those common numbers are they went and just picked those four and ran through all of the compromised debit numbers using those four most common ones, right? So there's ways to think your way around it and find those edge cases and those flaws, which are super interesting. Um, yeah, fraud in general, fascinating, you're right. Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, remember we had the client who was a e-commerce client up in, um... yeah, I can say this. We had an e-commerce client up in New York 
and their site uh, had coupons and there was an elaborate, elaborate couponing scheme that um, was only they were the only reason that e-commerce vendor was saved was because they had introduced a manual uh, oversight step into the process at some point before the attack started. And if it weren't for that, they would have lost. And I mean, like, I don't remember the number, but it was a catastrophic amount of money from the, this couponing scheme. Um, and when they described how it worked, I was like, man, can you explain that again? Like that's, that's a fairly complex uh, fraud scheme anyways. Um, and so that's why I'm like, man, loss prevention seems like a fascinating field to work in. Honestly, I'd love to hear the stories of somebody and that's what we need to do. We need to find somebody in loss prevention and, and hear, hear their stories. But um, yeah, because it never it never ceases to amaze me, like the things people come up with to to scam people out of money. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I mean, you know, if I go back to my again, my days at the bank, right, that was one of the things that info security was starting to get more and more involved with. Right. Building clusters of monitoring like daily transactions, monitoring like, um, you know, what the website was actually or what the online banking was doing, who was actually, you know, performing what and then running data analytics against it to identify fraud because that was a huge um i i mean it 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 amounts to huge losses right at a bank at any like retailer right being able to cut that down even like percentages small percentages is massive to the bottom line bottom line of a business yeah yeah absolutely uh it, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's really an interesting field. There's so many ways people get. It's hard to think through all of those um, scenarios, but hey, that's that's where uh, threat modeling and and all that kind of stuff come comes into play to to help uh, at least, um, like in their case, introduce steps where you know, hey, just the manual oversight step that saved them from everything. So, anyways, uh, meaning you can't predict every scenario, but having that having like guardrails uh yeah to your point um yeah cool cool well so what do you what is your recommendation there then right like what do people yeah i mean i guess we kind of covered it already but you know probably what is it that you username password uh yeah if you're building a system yeah if you could move away from uh, away from that and leverage some of the uh the uh you know newer technologies out there um, would, you know, be probably one of my main recommendations, but also obviously um, you can. So if you're a good example would be banks have typically, they have a password username and password still. They, they are different though, because they also have two factor auth, but they do give you the option of doing like a touch ID or excuse me, a face ID through the mobile app. Right. So there there's, there's like, obviously every business is different, but there are like little things you can do to like, Hey, maybe people don't love using um, a strong password every time they log in. Cool. That's fine. Just use face ID, like set that, that one time, you know, password uh, to be strong, but then you don't actually have to enter it every time. You know, there's like design balances you can make and and trade-offs you can make, but um, just saying, Hey, security's hard. Let me, uh, or maybe don't, maybe none of this matters. Maybe it was a blip on the radar of Chick-fil-A and it's just not even worth addressing. I don't know, but yeah. from my perspective, I think we should address it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> more, Anyways. more chicken, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Chicken. <laughs> well, and I mean, that that's what it comes down to is like those of us that have that, like uh, the expertise or I wouldn't even say expertise, but just experience using something like a password manager need to teach others who maybe aren't as technical how they how those actually work and what the proper way to use them is um and even as simple as like oh it's the kids or whoever else that you have in your life that's using those passwords those shared you know those shared resources rather than you know giving them out in such a simple way or making the password simple like figure out a way to use those use those in a secure manner 
but that's why like the the last pass right like we've almost created a watering hole of hey where are the credentials stored where would it be interesting to go after and we've seen a, a pat you know a hack against a password manager and a breach and what are the implications of that right so i just posted that link to LastPass, um them talking about and you know to be fair to them like they're actually being very upfront about what's what's happened and what's been you know what's been taken uh but you know, I wonder if people stop using them, right? Like, I wonder what the bottom line is going to be with LastPass after this happens. Can I be honest? I don't even consider you, and I hate, and this is not, because I'm sure I, I don't know of anybody off the top of my head, but um, I'm sure I, like either you or I or both know somebody from LastPass. And so I don't, this is not an insult, but I'll be honest, I use one pass. If I'm going to do anything, like it's going to be with one password, it's not going to be with LastPass, but you know, different design, different architecture. That's why. Um, yeah, that's what I'll say. That having been said, again, yeah, we recommended this to people, right? As security professionals, like, yeah, use a use a central. And I still do maintain that it's better than the ways people have been managing their passwords previously. So, don't get me wrong. Still, still believe that. But, uh, but it's also a tough call when you're like, hey, corporations and people, you should be managing via you know teams and all that stuff. You should manage your credentials that you're sharing or, you know, storing whatever, and, uh, then have these things continually happen is, is a little frustrating. So, yeah, well, I mean, and I think you're like, we see this also in cloud environments, like with the key storage or the, you know, um, the password storage the secrets managers for AWS or whatever else, right? Like they become a target and, um, yeah, I, I mean, again, it kind of goes back to what would you recommend that people actually do what they use? And uh, we should be doing that to non-technical people, not just, you know, hey, you're building an application. You should be using you know, a storage manager, a password manager for those credentials. Um, but like consumers need to be aware of that, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, my girl wanted to say hi I'm on the podcast. Apparently she just hopped up here and. Hi, Harper. Yeah. She, uh, I don't know. She occasionally pops in. Hi. You okay? Yeah. Just wanted to say <laughs> hi, go. apparently, today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're paying attention to something else. Gosh, what you, the nerve. I, I know. The nerve. I know. Something other than her. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, there was another, uh, like, um, Twitter thread that you that we were talking about. Um, this one I found really interesting because this is actually a conversation that I mean, there's so many cool conversations that you have when you're on the inside of a uh, mm -hmm. team that's deal dealing with package management, which, you know, I used to be a, I said, you see, like, it's so long ago, like, several weeks ago, I used to work at GitHub. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, several weeks ago, and, so long yeah, ago. It's been, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a fortnight. Um, uh, so Ken can now talk like <laughs> gloves are yeah. off. Let's admit what actually went on there. Like airing dirty, Let's dirty get to the real stuff. No. Yeah. yeah. No, it just, it's interesting how many of these kind of decisions you have to make. And so the link you're, you're sharing is essentially the, the issue is that there was a NuGet package. It has 68 vulnerabilities, I think is what it said. Um, just been around forever and unmaintained. They don't have any, you know, like they couldn't, the owner, um, non-responsive couldn't, couldn't maybe, I think they even thought maybe the owner of that package was, uh, deceased in any case, yeah. I'm really not sure what to do with it, but they don't want people down. They being somebody in the community didn't want, uh, that downloaded Travis McPeak, uh, had a really good, uh, response to all of this and that I can post in here, but essentially what it was, was where, where do you draw the line? Because NuGet doesn't own the package, just like NPM. And this is I, this is what I have a frame reference to drop on was NPM because, you know, I mean, they're looking at all the conversations about these exact subjects. Um, it's a hard line to draw. Like we, I can tell you NPM is like, would rather cut off their own foot than, than remove a package essentially. Like it is a big deal because yeah. that line does have to be drawn and it does have to be adhered to it's a very slippery slope to start like removing packages based on uh, opinionated things. Now, what you can do is take alternative approaches. So you can 
say, um, we're going to make that package private for, for a, a amount of time. And then the owner has to go through these recovery options um, or, you know, steps to, to get that back online and, and make it public and all these things. Um, remember, though, that if you remove a package and even if you think it's garbage and it's unmaintained and it has a bunch of vulnerabilities, that is potentially going to cause breakage in unintended ways for various people's systems. So now you just by making an opinionated, taking an opinionated stance and making some action based off of that as opinionated stance have potentially broken and made a worse outcome again, potentially for your, for your customers, for your clients, for your users. So it is a very, a very difficult proposition. Now I would love, and one of the things you'll see is um, baked into, for instance, NPM is you do see a health kind of a, you, you, and I think, uh, I think Sneak does this, you know, you can see a, a health, a kind of a health uh, score for the package. Um, so you can see like, like how active is it, you know, has essentially a bunch of different things that come to, together to kind of coalesce and represent that health statistic. But I like the idea of something like a progressive brownout to blackout based off of those, um, uh, those metrics. But I, <clears throat> again, I think it may be what it should be is more of a, uh, a conscious um, decision. I guess what I'm saying is you could put that burden on the, the, the package distributors. I don't know if that's fair. I think representing that score and then allowing people to make or take action as individual organizations or users makes more sense to me than the actual package uh, ecosystem. The, the, the one place I would say I would make an exception there, Seth, is if there are clearly obvious known bad um packages right things that are like stealing information they're crypto mining things like that that that's different that's 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 where we get yeah. back to fraud and back to abuse yeah. yeah actual abuse right well and like i you know twitter you know will never change right like Tra uh, travis asked that question about like well how many like what's the threshold and of course somebody responds as like with one right like oh if there's one vulnerability pull the package right and i'm like no right like if you it if you no. if you flip it around right like i'm building an application and um or i'm maintaining an application when do you stop using a vulnerable package right um that would be my question because most businesses are going to say if that package is being used and it is generating you know money as a part of this product we're not just going to pull that package, right? Like, you know, that is uh, the risk of using open source. That's the risk of, you know, building using third-party libraries is there's going to be vulnerabilities in there. Um, and then I would flip it around too to you as a consumer. Do you stop using a specific service like Chick-fil-A because they were breached, right? Uh, because there was a vulnerability that existed there. And, and no, you don't, right? Like that's a very like black and white worldview, but you will be... Um, very much um, just frozen in in action if you try and take that sort of a a stance because it is it's shades of gray right like if I'm using that you know that library that npm package does it actually affect my system um, are we using the vulnerable portions of that library and I know like Kenna and the, you know, those guys were trying to, you know, figure out real impacts of vulnerabilities and CVEs in these different places. Uh, but it's a, like, it's a hard nut to crack. And as a package, uh, not as a package maintainer, but as a, you know, package repository, uh, those, those questions have got to be like, that line has got to be a super interesting discussion to have. Um, like you were saying, it was obviously, like, you know, malware and fraud that you would take down those packages. Um, but did you ever have discussions around some of these like vulnerabilities, like those, like, Oh, this is obviously something that hasn't been updated for 10 years. Um, you just flagged those packages or what, what happened with that? Yeah, no, if it's, if it's, if, if it is something that has vulnerabilities, whatever, better to just represent that information, like with a overall um, score of, you know, what I'm saying is it's better to allow people to make decisions um, about how they're going to manage that risk 
if you want to include because like man if you want to include it because you're like i don't care whatever like okay it's got 68 vulnerabilities doesn't matter today i need this thing um mm -hmm. we can can work on that later well like that's a very opinionated decision for me to be and, and again maybe this is something that is just your personal project maybe it's just something for school you know, whatever right it's a I don't know. I don't. That's the point is I don't know all the different use cases out there. I'd rather just give you the information and let you make the, that decision as an adult on your own and how you want to operate than I would. And this is the part of those discussions. I'm trying not to get too specific, but that's the general gist is like let people give people enough information for them to make those decisions. Not necessarily try to be the arbiter of what is good and what is acceptable yeah. and how people now who does that? Well, the people that aren't doing open source do that, right? App, App Store is my number one example to point to. Sure, yeah, no, they 100% have like pretty sig significant standards you have to adhere to. Um, they also operate though, and you know, like we can get into the nuances, but it's very easy for them to um, have this ecosystem that's very tightly controlled using this very specific set of APIs with this this kind of code. You know, it's very easy, and and it's all money based, and and it's part of their larger thing, and it's it's all really well funded. What people have to remember is even if like, say, a GitHub buys NPM or, um, you know, to any any even like NuGet with Microsoft, whatever. Yeah, those are technically funded. But at the same time, like how it's it's a different. It's a different world entirely when people aren't buying necessarily all of these packages. Right. This is open yep. source. It's a different world than than a closed ecosystem that it's owned by one vendor and just or at least distributed by by the one vendor and you have to pay for everything or whatever you know what i mean so anyways i just think that that's since you asked about like what those conversations look like that's kind of the high level uh philosophy behind it yeah well and i mean that makes sense right like because we we all do that risk calculation or you know i would hope people are doing that risk calculation at some level right um, when they're installing those packages, when they're using them. Um, your point about the app stores is, is well taken though, because it's a, a, you know, you think about some of the free app stores that are out there and the, the amount of just like, oh, we're going to allow whatever be, to be pushed up to it. And you see things like fraud, you, th you see miners, you see, you know, uh, apps that are trying to steal data and do things that they, sh they shouldn't do in those environments as opposed to, those that are run by the big players where they're limiting those APIs, there's limiting access to X, Y, and Z, and they won't push out applications if it contains any of that, you know, that dangerous content. And so there's this fine line that the open source um, package repositories have to walk as far as what's allowed, what's not. Um, yeah. I, it, it, very interesting problem. I, I guess I, like, obviously we're not going to solve it, but it is interesting to see it actually called out in that way. I think there's been a lot of progress from package managers on securing their ecosystems because of all of the high profile attacks and all of the yeah. publications about supply chain risk and all of this. So I, I do think things for whatever to wrap, put a pretty bow on all of this. I do think things are drastically improving over time. And again, I'm, I, I probably lean towards that, uh, philosophical, political, whatever you want to say, like, um, allow people to do, allow people to do things, even if that stuff is bad for them and even if that stuff's good for them, you know, let them be adults, let them make their own choices. Um, but Brian, to make that caveat though, that Brian Glass had put into Slack, it is a challenge to represent information in a way that gives people, it's, it's hard to represent that information in such a way to be sure that everyone has gotten it and consumed it in a way that will actually help them make those decisions. But again, I think it's better to err on the side of uh, letting people yeah. Yeah, make those choices themselves. I do. I, I still love the idea of that nutrition label for software, but it, it does feel like we're getting there, right? Like you, you do an NPM install and you get back an NPM audit, right? By default of what those packages look like, right? And those scores are there and you start to be more of like you like you start to recognize what's an actual risk. You've got mm -hmm. you're using GitHub, you're getting depend upon alerts when things come out and you can, you know, tune that to what your risk tolerance is. And so there's you know, we are pushing that direction. Um, and 
to be completely fair, I don't know Nougat as well as I know NPM and some of the other, you know, package ecosystems that are out there because I just have not been a .NET developer for a long time, right? Um, so, like, it'd be interesting to actually compare those sorts of features and that sort of activity to see what what detail and what risk the package ecosystems are giving to each of the um, each of the projects as they install those packages, right? Whether or not it's a, oh, we know that there's a risk associated with this package. This is what it is. Or, you know, my, my gut feel for things like NuGet is that they just don't do that, right? Like it's not, it's not built into the Visual Studio IDE at this point, or maybe it's hidden in the console somewhere. Um, I'd have to do some research to look, but it would be an interesting, you know, if anyone listening wants an interesting research project, that would be one that I would like, I'd be fascinated to see how they compare. Um, Because I know like NPM and like the PIP guys and everything like those guys compare notes, right? They definitely kind of work together on some of those open source um, package managers. Um, But, you know, when you do get into, some of those that are more closed source, like NuGet, it'd be interesting to compare and contrast what the feature set looks like. Sure, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I'd love to see yeah. a breakdown of security features offered by each package management ecosystem, major package eco management ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. If anybody wants What's to see that, doing? Well, no, I'm joking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> CPAN. <laughs> What do they up to these days? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, and then, where do you where do you stop on that too? Right, like you've got like you know, Red Hat's package manager or like operating system package managers or package ecosystems, and um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Like for how long did that RIMRAW file package live around in NPM? Right, the RM minus RF all package. Oh yeah, yeah. Years ago, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to post a link to that because that's an entertaining. I mean, it was a security guy, right? Yeah. No, there's um. Well, was oh, that? It's, the... a, it's a, yeah. It's it's yeah. now in the security holding, right? Like, <laughs> there have been some nasty things done in the in, in these 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 packages. So it's, yeah, it's always. Anyways, um, what else did we have on the docket for today? I feel like there was one <laughs> other thing that we you had brought up. Um, um audit wall log of shame audit log wall of shame (laughs) so this one i was hoping you could break down because i didn't get a chance to read it but when you when you sent it over i was like oh man like what crocs and socks baby crocs and socks yeah okay so apparently i'm not the only one concerned about monitoring and logging right shocking i know i know it's 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 definitely the dad topic um so audit dash logs i can post this in general, if you'd like, and uh, oh, YouTube. Oh, I just did. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, I just dropped it in both. Um, okay, so go take a look at this. Um, right, they're talking about audit logs. But the, all right, so basically, if you scroll down, right, they've got like a grading scale. They've got things in audit logs that they're looking for, but they're going through logs provided by each, like various cloud providers and grading them based on a number of criteria. So you'll th- see things like, oh, um, yeah, Notion, right? There's no API collection. You can't even get logs out of Notion, right? Um, Slack, um, they're higher tier, but for the enterprise grid, they can actually get, you know, you can get everything you want in a log. Stripe fails, right? There's no documentation. It, it's interesting that they're like, they've created a wall of shame based on a list of vendors and just the log items that are coming out of there, right? Um, like what are some of the items here? Lack of information or attribute activity or to a user or IP address. Um, yeah. And they're throwing some serious shade on a couple of these, <laughs> some yes, Fs on here. Yeah, I know. I, I like fascinating. This one came out of TLDR sec. I hadn't seen it until it popped up in Clint's blog or Clint's newsletter. Um, but it did tickle my, uh, you know, yeah, my fancy here, right? Um, well, I do like the breakdown in the very beginning of a, what what makes an audit log versus a system log. You know, a system being a system log being <laughs> something used to troubleshoot, whereas an audit log is used to enforce. And I think that's a nice mental 
delineation of of how you can categorize you know what yeah. goes into which yeah and you know you get down to the very bottom and it's a you know audit log wall of shame um is maintained by security engineers right that's all it says um yeah obviously like whoever shell Crowmancer is um on on order to raise inside of nested json (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's usually pretty easy to fix yourself but i get it i get it it'd be nice if it was just done correctly from the beginning yep yeah i mean it yeah it's just it's fascinating random dictionary yeah which one are you looking at hash inside of an array uh so what are some examples of qualities that make a bad log so like oh, one yeah. of them is a uh, random dicks, but dick, oh God, dictionaries, <laughs> dictionaries, <Christ>. D-I-C-T-S, <laughs> uh, which I think is representative of a, of like a hash kind of key value, key value. Uh, damn it, Seth. <laughs> I'm going to regret. Anyways, um, moving along. We're, we're going to cut that, that, that whole section. Um, I'm going to make a, a, you know, an explainer video of random dicks, right? That's <laughs> Uh, this is what this is should go longer than an hour. This is how it gets. Um, yes. <laughs> anyways, uh, so yeah, so I, I guess what I'm saying is like, it does make sense because as you're parsing through, like, let's say you've parsed through logs, you've got a JSON uh, format, you've got a key, you've just pull, pulled out some, uh, the, the value by the key, the value comes back. It's a mixture of different data structures, unordered array items, whatever it may be. And, and then you have to do a lot of extra coding um, in your system, assuming you can do that. You're not just like plugging into some, something that you can't customize very easily, which I think is rare, but in, in, in any case, like, let's say you're, uh, you're going to have to massage that data yourself. That that's a lot of work, extra work. So I get mm-hmm. why that's, I actually think that's a really, for me, that's one of the more interesting parts of this because the other stuff I would, we talk about in our course. So it's not new to me or you is like, not having a user tied to, you know, an IP address and an activity and just not collecting enough information about the event itself that we've seen not having like timestamps in there or having incorrect, untrue timestamps that are then like, like it's difficult to, to actually figure out the true time things occurred. Um, inconsistent event type definitions based on anything that you see here that really kind of sticks out for you, Seth, um, in terms of either bad examples or just like things you've seen with logs that are, is like kind of a a gripe you have. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, most of the code that I look at, it ends up being this like lack of separation between the system and audit log. So I'm with you there as far as like, Hey, this like, okay, we have something that actually logs what a user is doing, like when they log in all their activity, as opposed to, hey, we have a system log that is just like indicators of like, it's more of a debug log of what's going on inside the application when there are errors, where that gets written to. And that separation is something that I do not see very often, right? Um, Larger project, larger organizations probably do a better job with that. But in general, those tend to be, the same thing in most applications when there are any logs whatsoever, right? Um, and we're not just depending on Apache or, you know, Cloudflare or something else to actually log, you know, uh, traffic streams and, you know, interactions with the application. Um, and so I, like, I start to dig into the different, the list, right? Like, oh, these are the, you know, the companies that they're shaming the applications themselves and seeing how, um, like what those, what those actual findings are Um, because this is all stuff that, you know, we would want to add to like the secure code review checklist, right? Like, like what's, what is in those audit logs? Like that's where I kind of go back to. This is why we're updating the course as it is um, to account for these sorts of changes and new information as it comes out and what we're actually seeing in the wild. Um, It's one thing to just sit down and have an exercise and think about what you could possibly see in these logs. It's another to actually have this sort of information where um, someone's done the research and dug into one password and Atlassian and AWS to see what's actually going into the logs and where it fails. So um, Mm -hmm. what's the, what's the, what's the craziest or like worst or funniest uh, thing you've ever come across with uh, auditing gone wrong? Oh, uh, I think you and I, I mean, 
recently this, uh, you know, we just did that assessment where we saw password digest actually show up in the log files. Right. Um, mm. I, I think those are always the most interesting ones where they get exploded. Like an object gets passed into a log statement and gets exploded by default. And you end up with things like passwords, the password digest, um, and, you know, reset tokens or whatever else that are in there. And then that combined with the ability to actually see that log through an API interface, like that's, uh, you know, super interesting. Right. Um, yeah. And Brian know. brings up a good point about how monitoring and logging are two different things too, by the way. Yeah. Um, Cause the ones, you know, obviously for, especially forensic activity important, but from a, like a um, real time response perspective. Yeah. That's, that's different, different. That's more, um, monitoring um, well and yeah. i want to say too right like my my gut on this is that the the wall of shame is actually coming from um people that are doing monitoring right not necessarily from application security guys that are looking at you know what's at what's being logged but the consumers of that log because they're trying to push this into Splunk or something else and notify on the events that are coming out of that. And what do they find? They find a lack of consistent timestamps. They find, right, like they are the ones dealing with this on a daily basis. So it's not, it's not necessarily application security that suffers here. It's our partners in crime that are trying to do incident response, that are trying to do monitoring, that are in the sock looking for events and if we miss some of this and we don't have the timings right, like we don't build it into the application properly, then we miss events, right? Um, and that's that's the worst case scenario when you have a breach going on that you can't actually recreate that that activity. Yeah, not having that that data uh, after yeah. the fact or during an event is really really horrible. I, I definitely have felt that more than once in my career. Yep. Yep. Cool. And, and yeah, and at that point too, right? It comes back to you as like an application security person to go in and figure out what they actually did, how they exploited the op what, the application. But you can't ever recreate the logs, right? Uh, hey, Seth, what you wearing your your Crocs? Sweet, don't have any socks on. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's a nice day out. There's not super cold. Um, I, I, no I, I I do happen to be wearing like my my Birkenstocks <laughs> instead. And with socks, so there you go, right? Yeah, it's not Crocs though. And not with Crocs. So are they white socks? No, they're not. Uh, I'll have to fix that. Neither yeah. of us were ready for this audit talk. No, we were not today. But we gotta we be do like a have... Mister Rogers, where we just like change into different, just put on yeah. socks and different. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that next time auditing comes up. I'll just put on like some socks and put on my Crocs, and we'll show them. <laughs> We can play a nice little like jazz background introduction hello. too, right? Like you know, hello friends. <laughs> Put like one of those uh, uh, casual or cardigans, cardigan sweaters on. Yes, there you go. <laughs> um, so the uh, the, oh, I was gonna say right, like we do have some new uh, um, graphics to go along with uh, Crocs and socks that we haven't necessarily released yet, right? Ken, you've seen those, um, the different, you know. So eventually we'll have some new stickers to give away that that feature Crocs and Socks or a new swag that features it. Um, let me see what else. I don't know. I like we haven't mentioned sponsoring yet either. We do have a prospectus that should be out. I know I keep saying that. Life gets in the way though for Ken and I. Um, the prospectus will be out so, um, soon um, and will be on the website. Uh, we will tweet out or we'll drop it on LinkedIn as well. So just watch our Watch at the absolute AppSec space for uh, sponsorship opportunities. And, I like uh, I like yeah. that, Brian. InfoSec, Mr. Rogers would be a good compliment to InfoSec, Bob Ross. <laughs> Bob Ross, yes, it would be. <laughs> angry. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, well, we've got, like I said, we've got a full, I, I think at some point we need to just put our schedule of events up on the, the website. So we'll, we'll uh, yeah, I keep, we, we keep saying it, but we're, I think those are the two things we want to add is the sponsor PDF that uh, Seth Aaron um, created and uh, then, um, yeah, the events thing. So I think we're good. Yeah. And then again, schedule next of month, yep. what is it? April 13th and 14th maybe, or is it 12th and 13th for Kernel Con? So uh, anyways, yeah. it's that week. So come, come see us if you're, uh, 
yeah, go into the conference, uh, take our training if you can. But if not, uh, just say hi, please. Uh, we love talking to people in person. Yep. So, yep. Um, cool. Well, yeah, we've been going for an hour. Mm -hmm. I know we started a little bit late today, but um, appreciate the discussion and the interaction as always. Um, join Slack if you have not done so. And if you want swag, uh, DM Ken or I uh, on Slack and we will get a physical address and send it to you. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think that's everything for today. Um, oh, you know, the, the episode was sponsored by Red, Pen, Red Point Security, redpointsecurity.com for all your application security needs. And yeah, I guess that's everything for today, Ken. Yep. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yep. We'll see everybody online. Thanks.